I'm Frances Robertson Ritchie. Welcome to today's episode of The Explored Life, More Than Yoga. Today I'm going to be talking to Sherry Burton about the Divine Feminine. And she's going to be telling us about her journey and family history of addiction, mental illness, grief and depression and how that led her to her work as a coach helping women to rediscover themselves and their unique gifts. Really excited to hear about this because I don't know barely know anything about about this topic and so I'm really excited to hear about it and so do you want to just start by telling us a bit about um what it is you do basically I don't even know where to start so (laughs) I have six children um I guess that's a good place to start and from age six to 26 and so I have three boys and three girls they all came in very unorthodox weird strange ways it sounds like the Brady Bunch, but it really was a long time of, um, it took a while to complete our family, but I did not know that I would be adopting children later in life. I didn't. So what happened was, um, my husband and I, um, I don't know why I feel like I need to tell the story, but, um, we, I had several miscarriages after the birth of our third and, it was just, um, well, okay. I lost my firstborn daughter at birth and then I had three more children in every two years after that. And then I was like, Oh, this is great. Everything's fine. I, um, I was loving being a mother and, and having, um, a business and things were flowing and, and then I just started to feel like there were two more children and I was like, Oh no. And, and then I had this, I, I guess you could call it a waking vision because it wasn't a dream. I was awake, but I just saw this, these two beings, this male and this female, and they were, um, she had long blonde hair and he was very strong standing be- beside, behind her. And they looked just like my, my child, my biological children. And so it continued to just feel like I needed to bring them here. And I kept trying in my later years. I think my last miscarriage was at age 42. And um, it was really hard. I just chalked it up to maybe they're my grandkids. Maybe I saw my grandkids. And basically what happened is um, through a roundabout way, uh, through mystical dreams and other things, these two children showed up. I didn't go to an adoption agency. two separate birth mothers, two separate private adoptions. And they, one was through my son, uh, one was through a life, a girl I life coached. Yeah. And that's how we got Eli. She moved in with us and um, just knew that he was ours. And so we adopted him at birth. And then another came through another, both of them came through announcing dreams separate from the one I told you about. But um, our Emma came Oh, let's see. Eli was about a year old when I found out um, that there was this other girl pregnant and that her friend had had a dream that 
she was handing the baby to me. So she got in touch with me and um, it was quite precarious. There was a lot of drama with that, but she actually went into foster care at three weeks old and um, I fought for her. Uh-huh. And six court hearings later, judge gave us uh, foster c- custody of her and we ended up adopting her when she was a year old. So we got custody of her when she was four months old, but I was part of most of that pregnancy trying to talk to the birth mother because it was an unsafe situation. Uh-huh. So that's a good way to preface what I'm telling you is that like, if I was to just encapsulate my life through the lens of motherhood, it would be like, <laughs> but there, but I have so much as a woman, as we all do as mothers, I had so much that I want to create and express and my life path for whatever reason, that stars destiny or whatever, just these souls wanted to come through me, whether it was through adoption or losing them, like the daughter that I lost at birth um, or, you know, the five children that my husband and I are raising. We've been married 25 years. It's like, I, I, I was living with this tension or have been living with this tension of wanting to do everything for these children and also trying to find me. And I, I just have come up with this. I don't know if I made it up, but it came to me. So I'll claim it as I feel like the first half of your life as a woman, whether you have children or not, you're birthing others, you're birthing them. And the second half of your life, you're birthing yourself. And, um, I just turned 52 in January. So I'm definitely on this path and have always been of just, you know, wanting to find my voice and empower other women to find theirs, whether they have children or not, whether they feel trapped for whatever reason, whether they can't fully feel like they can express their gifts or their voice. I'm just all about bringing women back into like, what is your soul trying to tell you? What, what is aligned for you? Not what, you know, all these outer structures want you to, to, uh, do think the and feel, but what do you want? Yeah. So giving that divine go ahead and permission has been really pivotal for me to do for myself and also for other women. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So when did you, um, when did you start the journey? Do you think, when did you have that transition? I totally, totally understand what you're saying about the, um, the two different parts and it, just in my experience um after having children it just shifts everything yeah and really um starts a journey of sort of self-discovery of sorts rediscovery um yeah so I'm interested did you start that people sort of find that point at different times don't they because some people it doesn't happen until their kids maybe have grown up some women um you know, maybe it's when their kids have grown up and left home, you know, when was it for you? So was it a bit earlier on that you found that transition? Uh, well, I think one of the most pivotal points for me was the year 2000. Uh, well, it was like the end of 1999. Um, I was just turned about to turn 30. I had a two-year-old and a nursing baby. I was actually kind of drowning in depression. I had a psychology degree, but I, just like, what am I going to do with it? (laughs) I'm changing diapers all day and nursing a baby. And my husband actually um, experienced some health problems. So we had to move in with his parents because he couldn't work for a while. So here we are living in the basement of my in-laws and I'm drowning in motherhood, but I love my children and just trying to figure out like, what's next for me? Like, is this it? Like, you know, what's going to happen? And 
So my sister called me one day and she said, I need you to look up my internet's down. I need you to look up something on the Oprah Winfrey website. And so I did. And as I was looking at what my sister needed, I saw this thing on the side and it said, here are upcoming shows. If you have an experience in these, you know, one of them was living with your in-laws. I was like, I'm living with my in-laws. So I just wrote this crazy email. I thought no one's ever going to read this. Two days later, the Oprah producer, an Oprah producer called me. Wow. And she talked to me for a little while. She's like, we'd like to, we'd like to you to be on Oprah live you and your husband and your in-laws. And we want to set up cameras in your home with a local film crew. Anyway, the next month we were on Oprah in Chicago. That's incredible. And it was, it was interesting because we kind of represented the healthy version of living with your in-laws, but I was still very honest about how I was feeling. And, yeah. um, but when I came home and watched the record, cause it was live. So I, you know, came home and watched the recording. I was like, I do not want, that sounds like a victim. I, that's not me. I don't want to be that way. And it, I just started asking God, the universe angels for something, throw me a lifeline. And of all things, um, I think within a week, uh, I went to an event where there was a Mrs. Utah, like a miss, like married pageants for women. There was a Mrs. Utah and she was speaking and I thought she's so classy and whatever, but I didn't know there were pageants for married women, but the, uh, the producer of the pageant was looking for contestants and it would not leave me alone. I was, so I actually ended up competing. I lost 40 pounds. I started diving into self-care. I started finding my voice. It was actually just a fun thing to do as a mom. Yeah. And I ended up placing in the top 10 and there was another pageant uh, producer in the audience for a different system. And she recruited me to do it again. And I made second runner up in another system. Then I had another baby. And then um, as a, after I had him, I just kept feeling that again, like you need to keep doing this and refining yourself. So I ended up winning that pageant. Um, and the reason I'm bringing this story up is that, uh, it's kind of an extreme example, but when you feel trapped, I think I was just subconsciously wanting to affirm that I was a queen, even though I was, had been depressed and overweight and frumpy and drowning as a mother and not understanding my worth and feeling disempowered by some patriarchy that I was surrounded by, not my husband, but religion and just the culture. And, and so, yeah, winning that was quite beautiful. Um, my kids were three, five, and seven at that time. And just being able to step into that role of service and speaking and refinement and beauty. And, um, you know, it's been, I guess that was in 2004. So it's been 17 years. <laughs> um, but what was interesting is that um, my platform was inspiring greatness in girls and women. And my own sister, who um, is two years younger than I, she had five children at that time and I had three and we were best friends and we lived in the same community. Um, she was losing her battle with addiction and depression and she ended up taking her life that same year, which was um, a real line in the sand for me. Um, part of my career has been in psychology and I worked at an addiction recovery center. I worked at a psychiatric hospital and here my sister takes her life the same year that I'm Mrs. Utah. So it was very, um, you know, it's, it's, I've had some years around it and so I can 
talk about it a little bit more without just the heaviness of it, but it, it really did change everything. It changed the course of my life and my path and my mission and um, just everything. Yeah. So I, now, what was that? I bet it did. I bet it did. I'm so sorry to hear that, Sherry. Mm. Sad news. It's been a good uh, wake up call for healing some family patterns. And um, it's been a beautiful, I guess, um, looking at her life uh, as, you know, kind of the, the awakening point for healing some of these patterns that have been around for generations and looking at what are, what can we do that? I mean, cause she was, she was only 34 and, you know, had five children that ranged in age from two to 12. And she also, um, you know, was very gifted musically. And so she kind of had this bipolar, you know, high creative and then, you know, where she would go into mania, but then, you know, not be able to function, but she was also on 12 medications to manage that. So she really wasn't herself. And so I've kind of taken more of a holistic approach to mental illness and, and um, it's made a huge difference in my life and in my family's life. Um, So that that's been a big part of, of my own personal journey is, just giving, you know, going from, you know, I'm the second of seven children and we have a lot of mental illness in our family and I didn't want to keep passing that on and those patterns on. So I've been very conscious about how can we change that story? Yeah. How can we, how can we get to the core of these things and root them out? Yeah. So I actually self-published a book on depression after that and just that's been a big part of my career path is, is helping people to heal depression naturally yeah. and consciously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting. What's the book called Sherry? Um, it's an ebook on my site now, but um, it's not in print, but it's called where depression ends and you begin. Um, but yeah, I've learned so much since then. I, I, it was 2007 when it came, when I wrote it. And when it was published and I'm, I'm actually in the process of writing another one uh, here 13 years later, just because there's so much more to who we are than our diagnoses, our labels, our illnesses and our patterns and what we've inherited um, culturally and physically. We are, we, we get to create the life that we choose. And um, yeah, so that's, I believe that's a big part of why people get depressed. Mm -hmm. It's a soul level. They feel like they're in some kind of prison that they just don't feel like there's any hope of breaking out of. And for some people, it could be um, toxic, you know, toxic surroundings. For others, it could be the way they're eating. For others, it could be lack of movement. But it's so many of these factors where you feel like you're in a prison Mm -hmm. and you literally can't see the answer. And it's so frustrating. So you just shut down. Yeah. You just shut down because you can't figure it out. So I, I believe in giving people a soul permission, a, a permission slip to um, be who they are and express what they, and do what they love and and not let their, their outer, I guess, circumstances or environment or other people dictate that for them. 
Yeah. That was a big part of my sister's, a lot of her problem. Yeah. So how do you, how do you help the women that you work with? Like specifically, what kind of practices do you share with them to help them to do that, to reconnect with their soul with, is it, is, and does this tie in with the divine feminine? Is that what we're talking about? Like kind of connecting with your authentic. Yes. So it's true for men as well. I mean, because men and women have, we each have both the masculine and the feminine energies within us. And a healthy feminine is very open and expansive and collaborative and nurturing and loving and unconditional. And um, a toxic feminine state would be codependency or people pleasing or silencing your voice. Um, And there are there are implications, there are societal implications for why we go into our unhealthy feminine as well as our unhealthy masculine. So the, the healthy masculine is um, more of a strong, empowered, uh, integritous, clear, pure strength and support. Unhealthy masculine is control and dominating and manipulating and women unhealthy feminine is very manipulative also but we have to heal these states within us so i i run something called a stand speak shine school and it's just a a three-month program for women that they can go and and learn these 12 feminine principles of how to cultivate their feminine energy and heal their heal, heal those unhealthy states within them but a lot of it comes back to getting in your body breathing, Mm -hmm. staying rooted and grounded here, um, acceptance and radical self-compassion. If you don't have those state, if you haven't been taught or guided into how to bring this into yourself, all of your outer roles and relationships will suffer. Mm -hmm. And we're not conscious that that's, we want to blame everything out here on why we're not happy and why we're not feeling connected, but it's our job and it's our role to learn how to cultivate that inner connection for ourselves. Is it everything is about the journey. Everything in life is about the journey within. Yeah. So I teach women how to access the journey and have a true journey within. That sounds amazing. Sounds wonderful. And Mm -hmm. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, It's just a, yeah, it's it is a journey so much. So, and I really resonate with them. it's funny because I really resonated with your um, description of the toxic feminine. I was like, oh God, I totally <laughs> remember being like that, you know, like I probably still am, you know, but, um, you know, uh, it's it's almost like um, survival though, isn't it? That's kind of, right. uh, I think we um, learn those sort of ways because it's a way of surviving society that we're yeah. in you know, and we, that's how we get by, but yeah. And so it's a sort of real then journey of unpicking that and sort of, yeah, pulling away right. and getting back to looking within and uh, yeah, I'm very much uh, in agreement that, you know, self-love, self-compassion is, um, is the, the way forward, isn't it? And the way to move forward yeah. with these things. And it, and it's important for people to understand it. It's, it's a practice for your whole life. It's, it's, um, you may have seasons where you sort of arrive at feeling complete and whole and loved and, and then something happens and you're like right back 
into the matrix of fear and whatever. So, so it just, you know, we have to hold both of those states within us. Yeah. The fear and the sadness and the shame and all of the things that are happening collectively around us and not identify with them. Just put them here and just be like, okay, this is part of my experience. I'm a human. And I, and rather than just spiritually bypassing all of that, just to be this love, light, joy person that does not exist because I don't know anyone who's achieved that nirvana state of just like, ah. um, especially if you have children or if you have um, sick parents to care, sick parents to care for, or, you know, you're going through a divorce or you just lost your job, but there's so many things that, you know, we can't just be like the monks that are in monasteries or whatever, and just expect to be shielded from, from life. So I think that is the spiritual practice mm-hmm. yeah. is holding that and working with it rather than just wipe it away. Yeah. And as soon as we accept it and stop resisting it and we notice it and look at it, Oh, I have pain. Oh, I'm in fear. Oh, this is in me. It loses its power over you. And um, that's what I'm working with right now. It's like, you know, um, with the divine feminine, she, she's so misunderstood because we have, all we have is this masculine God archetype thing happening. That's really in our psyche that this guy on a throne with a white beard that were over us trying to catch us in every bad thing we do. Whereas, um, no, I don't believe that's what God is. Um, but I believe the divine feminine, she is here with us in our body on the earth. She is earth. She is presence and pain and all of it and fierce and strong, but there's just this beautiful love, the emanation of loving awareness. And for me, when you have that loving awareness and you attach to that part of you, that healthy feminine in you, then it really doesn't matter. You know, fear could come up and you'd be like, okay, loving awareness, sending to this fear. This is part of me, right? I'm going really esoteric, but you know, I just, I've just, in my life, I've just met so many people who are in pain, depression, suicide, mental illness, anxiety. Um, and, and I've been in those states as well. And it's like, I can love that part of me that suffered through some of those states. And I can come back to that self-compassion that we're talking about instead of shame. Yeah. So many people are shaming themselves that they feel this way. And it's delaying their healing. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I was just talking earlier today um, to someone about um, this idea of like happiness and um, how it's a little bit um, misleading, isn't it? Because yeah. no, one's, no one's meant to be happy all the time. And to kind of suggest that that's the case is actually um, would probably cause more suffering because it's unattainable, isn't it? And there's actually a huge yeah. range of human emotion that you know that is uh part of our experience here you know in this life so um yeah and I think shame is a very um powerful you know uh thing isn't it it's it's mm-hmm. um yeah I mean it seems to be the root of of a lot of suffering for sure yeah yeah so yeah. You, you would you say that the way to 
approach shame is through that loving awareness just like you would with yeah. you mentioned yeah so just yeah. and it doesn't come from thoughts because it has to come from the heart it has to come from your soul it has to come from your being not just your thinking so that's been sort of what I've been learning about with the divine feminine and the sacred feminine arts is that it's very much a, you know, a male is like a top-down approach, like head logic, Mm -hmm. black, white, top-down. And we can see that in hierarchies and patriarchy, top-down approach. But the feminine is with or alongside or collaborative. So it's more of a heart up approach. Um, and that, that very beautiful, organic, you know, awakening and, and gentle allowing of whatever is coming up in you. And then also what might be coming up in the people around you that you can come into a state of loving. The only reason that we, um, lash out at others or blame or whatever is because we just feel that in ourselves. We're only ever treating people how we feel about ourselves at all times. And so when we come to that space of self-compassion where we just allow things to be as they are, then we can show up that way for others. That's lovely. I like that. Yeah. So if you can be, and again, it's like um, you're kind of doing it for other people as well as yourself. So it's not a selfish thing, you know, because I think sometimes we get caught, especially as women, in a trap of thinking, oh, I can't spend time showing myself compassion. I have to look after everyone else, you know, right. I'll be fine. You know, that's the kind of typical um, mm-hmm. mentality, isn't it? That we sort of can get caught in as... It's kind of like, why put off for others or why put off for yourself what you can do for others? That's a woman's inner mantra. Yeah, but actually <laughs> you spin that around. Kind you of, have to spin it around. Actually, yeah. I, I have to show myself love and compassion in order to be loving and compassionate to all of the people around me, you know, to have that capacity to do that. Exactly. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, Thanks so much, Sherry. I just um, would love uh, to finish if it's okay with you. If, if you could share like maybe just one practical tip with listeners. Yeah. For for just starting to maybe connect and, and just maybe take a first step on this journey if they were interested in this kind of thing? Yeah. So um, my biggest tip is is, um, healing is not complicated. We overcomplicate it in our mind, but it's actually quite simple to come back home to yourself. And it starts with breath and stillness. So there's a mantra I kind of made up, stop, breathe, receive. So when I start to feel like things are out of control and I'm amping up and things are crazy in my environment, um, then I will literally take a time out and I will tell my family or whoever I'm with, like, I I need a little bit of time. I'm in a stress response and I need to be in a healing response. And I can't think clearly if I'm in a stress response because my amygdala is firing and it doesn't, and it precludes me from reasoning Um, my fight, flight, or freeze response is activating and I'm not any good to anyone right now. So I'm going to go take care of that. I've been trying to model that to my kids. Yeah. But I, but when I say stop, breathe, receive, it's like literally stop, stop everything. 
stop, go and just breathe. So just close your eyes, connect in and be with whatever's there. Don't try to make it joyful if it's not. If there's anger there, feel the anger. If you're sad or frustrated, feel that. And then receive. So the receive could look like you could be in the space as you're breathing of just asking to be shown. Um, You could call it prayer. You could call it um, connecting with your higher power or just inner guidance, whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's like receive the offering of that loving awareness. So, so wait and get through that emotion, get through that pain, get through that distortion and illusion and yuck and muck that's coming up, take care of it and, and send that loving awareness and then receive that loving awareness for yourself. Cause we, we would, we do have source energy in us. We do have a part of God in us, but sometimes it's inaccessible or so it seems. So we have to receive it. We have to receive that love. And um, when you do that enough times, when you take a time out and you do that over time, um, you become very conscious mm. when you don't get triggered the same way as you used to. And other people notice how relaxed you are. And so you're a mirror to them of calmness and um, order. So anyway, that that's my big take, like practical tip. It's free. Yeah. I like it's fast. Yeah. You can do it anywhere. Um, but usually when we're in pain, that's the last thing we want to do is get, get conscious and go to have a timeout. We want to lash out or play a victim or be mad or whatever. So just, I would just tell people like, just come back home, come back home to your heart. I do have a, if it's okay for me to talk about, I have a freebie. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I'll so shereeburton.com. Um, it's just my name, C-H-E-R-I-E-B-U-R-T-O-N. Uh, if you go to shereeburton.com, there's a little free healing kit that you can find on my homepage. And it's just this lookbook that you can download for free. And it's got multi-sensory sort of tips and everything from what you're smelling to what you're tasting to what you're touching. And I believe the senses are our portals to feel good and to get conscious. So there's a fun, free downloadable PDF lookbook that you can grab on my website. And um, it has definitely has the stop breathe receive in there as well brilliant i will i'll i'll put the link to that in the uh, show notes for this podcast too oh that's brilliant thank you so much sherry it's really lovely to meet you you too thanks so much francis for having me Thank you so much for listening today don't forget that you can subscribe to listen to more episodes you can leave a review if you've enjoyed today's episode and you can share with your friends and i'd really appreciate that look forward to seeing you next week and if you need a few moments out for yourself i've left a free guided relaxation recording in the notes for this podcast Take care, guys. See you next time.